My guest today on Mission Impact is Larry Robertson. Larry and I talk about the fundamentals of healthy nonprofit governance, the red flags that governance needs attention in the organization, and why boards should be hearing from and interacting with more staff than just the executive director. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. Welcome, Larry. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thank you, Carol. Good to see you. Good to see you. So I'd like to start the conversation with uh, helping people get some context of your background. So what would you say drew you to the work that you do and, and what motivates you? What would you describe as your why? I mean, I, I think the simplest answer is is having discernible impact. And um, I, I, I know we're going to talk about governance some, but I kind of came that route somewhat indirectly. Okay. I uh, was sitting on a board uh, some years ago and uh, we were nominated for an award. We ended up winning the award. And as a result of that, we got two free trainings. I was one of the people who went to the training. Then out of the two of us, they asked, well, who can sit on the committee to select a winners for the next year? And so I was that person who didn't step back when they were looking for volunteers. And I ended up being on that committee in 2012 and, and they haven't gotten rid of me yet. And um, as a result of that, I have, you know, I was on a board that had a, a significant impact, but that was, you know, the impression that I had. But then as I started to learn more about governance, I started to see just how significant an impact the board can have by what it does or what it doesn't do. And we can talk more about that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So as you said, you you do, you're often working with uh, organizations around board development, around governance, mm -hmm. strengthening their governance what would you say are some of the fundamental um, elements that folks involved with nonprofits really need to understand about nonprofit govern governance? I, I think there are probably a couple of things. One is the fiduciary responsibility that a board has is, is one of the paramount things. And then one of the things that tends to happen is that boards will play out how they carry out that function in either, uh, you know, a range of ways, one of which can be very onerous and they can be over-involved in the organization and down into the weeds of it, um, where if they have competent staff, they don't really need to be there. They need to play a different role and complementary to staff. The other one that is equally dangerous is when they fall behind and don't play an active role and pay attention to the detail. And one of the biggest ways that that happens is by not observing the extent to which the organization has the capability to survive and then preferably to thrive. Because what my work focuses on is how do you actually get organizations to thrive? The sweet spot is the great spot. And that's where boards kind of rec recognize that they have this, you know, kind of august duty to be um, the fiduciary body of the organization, but they also are strategic partners with the executive leadership, they recognize as a fiduciary body also, and strategically they recognize the need to kind of ensure that the board, that the organization has sufficient resources to operate, that there's this clear vision to a, a path to the future, and that their focus is as much there as it is about the inner workings of the organization, and they look for results to come back to them rather than 
the detailed process pieces. And, you know, some of the conversations I have with people is that is really about the concerns they have about the role that the board plays. And if those rules of engagement aren't clear, you can get a lot of fuzziness. You can have 11 people on a board and they all have 11 different interpretations of what governance entails. And so large part of what I try to do is some level setting of really trying to get down to things like what's the purpose and do we have a shared understanding of the purpose, the roles, the responsibilities of the board? And then then we can get we can talk about tactic of how you actually make it work functionally. Yeah, absolutely. And you started out by saying fiduciary responsibility. And I'm I'm could could you just define that for folks? Yeah, I mean, you're the stewards of an institution. And that means that you have a range of duties, duty of care, duty of loyalty, all those things. But more or less what it basically means is that institution is within the grasp of the board and that the board really can be looked upon as chief responsibility officers. They actually represent the highest level of responsibility within that organization, legally and morally, um, so to speak. And so they need to make sure, much like parents need to make sure that, you know, their, their family is taken care of. Um, when you send some your kids off to college, you want to make sure that the university takes care of them as well. And so there's a there's a really august responsibility that you have as a board member. And people, as they consider board membership, they really do need to take that seriously because le- legally they're the ones that are going to be responsible for that institution. And I keep calling it an institution because some boards... Um, look more toward the leader and not as the institution, the cause, the purpose of why we're actually having this nonprofit exist. And that is really typically is supposed to be the paramount reason why the organization exists. We'll be back after this quick break. I want to invite you to a special event at the end of this year. I'm going to be hosting a one-hour planning session with my nonprofit leadership roundtable December 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You'll be able to find a way to register for the event through the show notes on the website. And we'll be diving into some planning, looking back at how 2022 went for you and looking forward into 2023 and what's coming up and what intentions do you want to set. So fitting with this year-end planning that I'll be doing personally, I'd love to have you come and help frame up how you can think about your upcoming year. So again, December 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. and look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Mission Impact. Yeah, it's so it's so easy to get caught up in in all those kind of interpersonal things and either either, you know, trying to be out front of the staff leader or following the staff leader or, you know, depending on the the stage of the organization, they may not even have that yet. Um, but uh I think a lot of folks go into board membership leadership without really understanding you know, how they are on the hook uh, for the organization, its purpose, um, and not necessarily the the, the people, uh, the individuals um, that happen to be there, happen to be around the table at the time. Although, of course, those individuals have so much impact on whether the organization is thriving or not. Particularly if they're founders. And, and if, you know, if I'm on a board and looking at a founder, I have to look at this as if that is their baby, that is their brainchild. And you have to respect that. 
at the same time, that can't be the only driver of how you operate. Um, and so you want to be respectful. It's, it's a really delicate balance to strike. Yeah, and and I think you've already named a few of those, but what what, what are some red flags when you're coming into organizations um, that that kind of signal to you that governance is weak within the organization? Well, I'll say that governance needs uh, uh, has needs opportunities for improvement. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think some of the things are um, uh, lack of clarity about the purpose of the board, whether the board is really in the game to have true impact or if it's there because legally you have to have a board in pretty much every state. Um, the extent to which um, the board members are engaged. And that would mean that they participate in strategy setting, um, that they recognize that their role is um, complementary to the staff, but distinct from the staff. Um, that they also um, have some sense of where the organization is in its development. And that is one of the, you know, we I one of the the things that we can get hung up in is some of uh, I think you and I have talked about this before, some of the orthodoxies that people follow. Everything is situational. And if a board you know, recognizes that the organization is at a particular place in its development, it needs to govern according to that and then where it's headed after that point. So a very new board or a new organization that is kind of getting its, its footing needs a different level of governance than say a, a board that uh, an organization that has 20 years of experience, resource rich and has you know really more existential strategic concerns at you know at hand. Uh, the other thing is the extent to which boards have made the simple decisions about what participation entails, um, what um, including um, expectations around whether you give you get funds or, or those sorts of things. And to, so basically, in all, to the extent that the roles, the purpose, the responsibilities of the boards are clear, and that they actively it, you know, make a meaningful impact on the organization. Um, and so those are some of the uh, some of the key features, I think, and the extent to which they actually view themselves as a cooperative body and collaborator with the staff um, is one of the things I'll look for. Yeah, a couple things in that that you talked about. I, I um, was working with an organization and, and I generally am working with them around um, strategic planning. And I think uh, one value that um, those of us who are consultants that kind of go from organization to organization and and have some of that perspective around around a life cycle, a typical life cycle of a nonprofit, um, they were going through that a very you know a common transition from a completely volunteer board. They'd had staff for a little while, but we're still struggling with uh, roles and responsibilities and, you know, some of the founding board members wanting to have things, you know, the way they'd always been when when they did everything. Um, and just being able to share that construct of you're going through a very typical transition kind of calmed everybody down because mm -hmm. they'd made it so, you know, about the personalities in the room versus just, um, you know, the very typical organizational transition that they were going through and how then roles needed to be renegotiated and, and rethought. So yeah, I really appreciated that. And then you talked a couple of times around the complementary um, role of the board and staff and then having a collaborative um, 
uh, engagement with the staff. And one of the things that I've seen where kind of some of those um, quote unquote ortho orthodoxies around uh, board governance maybe have been um, misapplied have been where uh, some of the the work around the executive director as the, you know, as the only uh -huh. uh, staff person of, you know, that that's chosen by the board and then that real bright line between board and staff that that can be can become so hard and fast that the the executive director is really kind of the pivot point and neither group talks to each other and so then that to me i've observed where that just puts so much power in that executive director role that it can be really harmful to the organization yeah, and I think that it's kind of a communications and, and but more or less it's a management and leadership issue around permeability. You know, it's true that the board does oversee one person, which is the exec, the chief exec. However, that is not a hard and fast firewall. A good board is going to be inclusive and it's going to be comprehensive in where it gets its information from. It's going to get that information from staff as well as external parties as well who have a, a vested interest in the organization. Um, so I'll, so let's base it on what I've seen as the high functioning organizations and what they typically, what you'll typically see at the board meetings are open, staff are welcome and sometimes actually have a role in those. Um, uh, they will pay very particular attention to key staff, particularly financial staff, um, in, in board meetings because they have a level of insight that is contributing to board's decision-making. Um, they will play a big role with development people. And oftentimes, I know at least on the board that I was on, we would follow the lead of the development person and the chief executive. And so there was a very close relationship there. They'll pay a lot of attention to what's going on programmatically, but only in the sense of not getting into the machinations of programming, but in terms of the impact that the programs are having on the, the population that they're intending to serve. And so that relationship tends to be really um, um, collaborative in the sense that the board needs to make, needs to deliberate and take certain actions. And they can't do that in a vacuum. And the chief executive, a good chief executive will recognize that they don't have to be the expert and the end all in the conversation. And so they will invite into that conversation the people who have, you know, the bird's eye view of, of those particular areas. And that will inform the board and making really having well-rounded deliberations because the staff will be right there in the mix of that conversation. And there, and there's a clear distinction between who has voice and who has vote. And what I tend to see in these really high functioning boards is staff, board, and other people that they invite into the conversation have voice. At the end of the day, the, the, the board has the vote. But the question is, what does the board have the vote on? And so that brings to another chapter in the conversation, which is how you make a clear delineation between that which is the province of staff and that which is the province of the board. And while they might have conversations that have some overlap, who takes action and makes decision is going to be should be clearly delineated. It makes it, it, you know, it's not as nice and neat as I'm portraying it, but to the extent that you can get it close to there, it will make for um, a better partnership between the two parties. And there will sometimes be some tension, but tension isn't necessarily a bad thing. It means that there's a resolution that needs that's around the corner if you work it the right way. 
Yeah, and I think um, what I've observed is folks really wanting it to be a very bright line and, you know, very, um, and and so struggling with the ambiguity of, is this, you know, ultimately a board responsibility and role or, you know, mm -hmm. what what role does the staff have it have in it, especially around strategy, you know, aligning to the mission and those kinds of things. Um, what have you seen where organizations have have done a good job of, um, you know, really setting their their strategic alignment and being inclusive and yet, um, you know, honoring the responsibility the board has with that fiduciary? Yeah, I, I can think of a couple of uh, recent examples from uh, organizations that have won the board leadership award, and they both they ha actually both have they have a couple of things in common. Um, they they uh, serve marginalized communities by and large, and they were large organizations that decided to make huge changes in their physical plant, including one in one case the place where they serve, because where they serve really affected who they served. Um, and they made changes to partnerships. And so all of these things came into play that affected how they looked at what their mission was and any shifts that they made in mission. But they had those conversations in concert with the staff and the communities that they served. So they weren't just doing it in isolation. They engaged very thoughtfully in a very planful, intentional way over a, a significant period of time and made these significant shifts in that put them on the line in terms of how they raised money, what they raised money for, the partnerships that they created to create these new physical plants, because they actually had to do that. In one case, the organization moved from one part of D.C. to a different part, and that was a radical shift. And they basically referred to themselves as a place-based organization. But they had to get staff aligned with that. What both of them did is they recognized that in order for them to make the major shifts, they were pretty bold moves in both cases. They had to adopt the mentality and an orientation and a practice of full ownership of all partners. Staff were partners, not these, you know, not something they weren't doing things to staff. They were doing things with staff. And in the end, it made their success you know, more apparent because they were able to kind of accomplish these, these, you know, big things. And, you know, a few years out in both cases, they're actually now, you know, um, prospering as a result of that relationship. And they don't have the types of tensions that a tendency when staff are not, they're not necessarily an afterthought, but they're not engaged in the processes as genuinely as they should be. And staff will know if they are really owners. And it's, and I make the distinction between owning and buying in. It's great to buy into something, but you actually get a whole lot more bang for the buck when you can get everyone to own it because they actually are part of the making of it. And, and I think in these cases, that's kind of the difference maker. Yeah, and I, I, I the way you're talking about it, um, when it's when folks are trying to really, I think, um, find that 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 perfect bright line of the the what what's on the board side what's on the staff side there's that you know there's often um to me what it comes down is is uh power dynamics and the the kind of healthy the relationships that you're talking about ta are more of that partnership more of that power with rather than power over and mm -hmm. so really appreciating um that yeah when we're 
we all have our different roles. We're not going to all be doing exactly the same thing. But if ultimately we're pulling in the same direction and and own those decisions, um, I, I think that makes a huge difference. But it takes a lot of trust. I'm I'm working with a group, and um, there's there's a lot of uh, questioning around all you know all the different basic um, the vocabulary and what do people mean mm -hmm. by each thing and 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 to some extent. Um, I, I, I'm curious about what the real level of trust is with between the different parties that that um, that's there. You know, you know, you you said something, Carol, that I think triggered something that I hadn't thought about in, in, as overtly as this before, and that and you basically described emotional intelligence, mm. and. Maybe a different twist on the question you asked earlier. What would I? What do I see in those boards that really work well? That's actually one of the things. Is, is it the board members and the and the leaders? It's all the or, are, it's it's an emotionally intelligent organization. So say more about what an emotionally intelligent organization looks like. It, well, one of the biggest things is, is that everyone is going to be mission driven. Here's a, I'll give you another example of, of one of these organizations, and they just blew us away when they were coming up for the board leadership award um, a few years ago. They recognized that they were at this inflection point some time ago, that they had lost a, a significant funder. Um, they were doing work both nationally and internationally and thought that they needed to you know, really focus and, re and make a shift. So as a part of their strategic plan, they did a couple of things. They they wanted to focus more on, you know, really serious, aggressive development of raising funds. So they brought a couple of people onto the board who were, and one of whom I know. So it was like, if they got hurt, then they were rocking. Um, <laughs> they got these two high level um, development people on their board and they started to create this whole path of development as a part of the board membership. But one of the other things that they did that I thought was, one of the most emotionally intelligent and mature things I've seen is that they actually set out a plan to fire themselves as a board. Say more about that. What does that look so, like? So what they essentially did is they said within a certain amount of time, each member of this board will be off of the board. And I think it was maybe about three or four year period. And at the time that they came up for the board leadership award, we, we were um, talking to the last two or three members of that original, that previous board both of whom I would put on any board on earth, quite frankly, they were just that good. But the thoughtfulness and the selflessness behind what they did was just so admirable. Um, it was one of the few times in the interviews of boards, I didn't ask any questions. And at, and at the end, I asked my um, committee mates, can anyone poke a hole in them? And we're a really critical group. <laughs> <laughs> and the room went silent and they, and it was just because they had, that they had, they were just pumping on all cylinders. And, but that, that, that was a good example of how the organization from staff to board recognized that culture is based upon leadership and leadership is dependent upon the emotional intelligence of its leaders. And what they did there sounds like um, they were really intentional about uh, essentially succession planning for, from the board point of view and, and really building a, a pipeline and, and, you know, seeing their exit versus, you know, I've yeah. got to stick around because I was here at the beginning. Right. And they also understood what the, what drove them was they looked 
to the future and said, here are the competencies, here are the skills, the, the experience, the attributes that we need to have now and into the future. And I know you and I did the piece on succession planning <laughs> with another group. And that it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That they looked into the future and said, this is what we're going to need then. And so let's now start to prepare for then. And that is like one of the biggest things that a board can do is to, is, and that is really one of the charges as a strategic body, what a board should be able to do is to start to project and, and, and you know, you don't do it with a crystal ball because life does interrupt, but you want to look into the future to the extent that you can and start to look at, you know, what aspirations, what challenges, what opportunities are down the pike and who's around the table to help us address those things. And that's what, the, and, that, and I think in the, the cases that I've presented so far, that's what the boards have done is they've all been really very um, intentional about recognizing what the future might look like for them and how they can have an impact on that future by making you know, smart strategic decisions, um, by incorporating the input from different sources of information, data, people, et cetera. Yeah, and, and, and one of the big things that, you know, has been, demonstrated through research over and over again is how, um, you know, white-topped organizations are, especially at the board level, and and that disconnect between the folks who are sitting around that table and the purpose of the organization, who they're trying to serve, um, and and but that that lived experience not being centered in the conversation. So um, I think a lot of organizations are really grappling with that right now. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it does take um, some emotional intelligence to realize, okay, it may be time for me to step aside. True. Yeah. And because the question is, who are you serving? Are you serving right. self or institution? And in each of the cases that I've talked about so far, it was very clear that these, these really high functioning boards understood what their purpose was that their purpose was not about them. It was about the mission. It was about the people that they serve. And they put that above all else. Well, that's why I start each of these conversations with a question around why, because it's, it's just so important. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So at the end of each uh, episode, I play a game where I ask uh, a, a random oh, uh, icebreaker question that I have a box okay. of. Um, so I've got, I always put out three so I can just grab one from it. So what mistake would you say you keep making over and over again? Or what lesson does the, the universe keep throwing in front of you that you have to learn over and over again? Let's see. I only one. <laughs> <laughs> One's good enough for today. I, I, I think the one that I, I, I remind clients of that I have to keep reminding myself of is that is around the concept of the stages of change. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with what Prochaska and DeClemente's work and recognizing that you can't always jump into action mode if people 
haven't you know gone worked through the processes and basically the stages of change talk about pre-contemplation where you're thinking about thinking about it and then contemplation and you're actually thinking about it and then planning and and but much like most consultants i have to take a step back and constantly remember we're not ready for action Mm. yet because they 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 are not emotionally mentally at that place and so i have to keep reminding myself the, the, the process begins is really about figuring out where someone is in stage of change and getting them to move from that. Your task is to get them to move from that stage to the next, not directly to action if they're not ready for that. And so I think that is that is an age old um, <laughs> that most consultants um, uh, battle with that. And we have to we actually have to, you know, I don't pray on it, you know, meditate about it or, you know, whatever. Um it's it's a level of mindfulness that's important to kind of um, keep driving us. Yeah. Um, always a question that I have for myself is, am I doing what I'm asking my clients to do? Am I doing it myself and staying true to that? Um, or am yeah. I just, uh, am I just yapping about something? <laughs> so it's a, it's an important thing to remember. So what are you excited about? What's up next for you? What's emerging in the work that you're doing? You know, I I think um, I've been finding these um, opportunities with these small startup organizations, and I'm finding some real stars. There's one I'm working with now um, that I've been really excited about because they've only been around since 2018, but they have already progressed beyond the thinking and how they have actually put together their pieces. They've already passed (laughs) a lot of organizations that have been around a lot longer Mm. because they do something very simple which is that they listen mm. and they ask questions about what they should be doing. And it's like, Oh, I love these. And they're, and they're a group of young people and young people of color. And so they, they've, they've gotten my attention. Um, and um, there's a, another project that uh, you'll probably relate to this, that um I'm working with the Center for Nonprofit Advancement and DC Bar Pro Bono Center on is putting together a um, some sort of a package. We haven't kind of put together this toolkit yet on um, helping folks think through the process of starting a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. What you experience, what I experience as consultants is that we walk into um, habits that have already been formed. And so what this initiative is that we're trying to kick off um, probably in, this, in 2023 is to get them on the the um, the thinking, the conceptual stage of it, and to give them a good running start, to, in, including the recognition that you need to have the right people on the board to start, and they may not be the people who are going to be on your board three to five years from right. now. And, and start but that they, mentality they, from the very beginning. Yeah, understanding the developmental stages as an organization that you're going to go through and that what you need now and what you need as you move on toward, you know, kind of having your feet solidly, you know, planted on Earth will be a very different type of dynamic. Um, And in some cases, it may mean that the founder may need to, you know, shape shift into a different role as well. Yeah, I really appreciate um, folks who are founders who realize that that's their energy, that they're really good at getting things started, but not necessarily the right person to stick around for a long time. Um, And they may need to go start something, a new thing. Um, Or or they become the face, the voice, the passion of the uh organization. Depends. I mean, it depends on, yeah. Yeah, and someone else can can operate it. It, And that happens a lot with, um, I've worked with some, um 
arts groups, particularly performing arts mm. groups, and that tends to be what they do is that they siphon off the artistic part from the organizational right, part right. and they have the, this kind of this bifurcated management structure but it works for them if as long as they again have clearly delineated roles yeah exactly yeah well you mentioned yeah. the the board leadership award it's and then it's the org I'm, i think it's the organization that you mentioned center mm -hmm. for nonprofit advancement in dc which is essentially the the state uh nonprofit association for the dmv area and I, I'm on their other awards committee, so for full transparency, the one that um, looks at the executive uh, director and the CEO of nonprofits, and and you know in that in those conversations, we're we're having the, the same deliberations, and the the people that um, end up winning that award really have that um, that emotional intelligence, but also, I think, the emotional maturity and health to be mm -hmm. truly collaborative, both with staff and with the board. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. It was great having you on the podcast. It was, I, I really appreciated our conversation. Thank you. And I'll think about that last question again. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated Larry's point that while the roles and responsibilities of the board and staff do need to be clear, they're not a bright line. And there should not be a firewall between board and staff beyond the executive director. This is always a balancing act, as he described, because it can be too easy for board members to get too far involved in the operational aspects of the organization or start acting like this a staff member's boss when the staff member actually reports to the executive director. So it is messy and needs frequent attention and likely renego renegotiation as the organization grows and matures. I also appreciated Larry's point around cultivating open communications throughout the organization. That for the culture to be truly impactful and collaborative, board members should know staff and staff should know board members. The executive director should not be the sole source of information that the board relies on. I've worked at organizations where staff were literally prohibited from speaking to board members unless they were on the senior staff. And to me and uh, to Larry, when we, we talked even before we uh, hit record on the podcast, this is really a red flag. It points to a very controlling and top-down culture. What is the executive director afraid of in that instance? And perhaps it's inappropriate complaints by staff going to board members. But if so, is there a safe and clear way for staff to share their feedback and challenges and even complaints? I've experienced executive directors so closely managing what information is shared that they're actually hiding the real challenges within the organization from the board to the point in one case where senior management almost bankrupted the organization. So communication, trust, collaboration, and transparency, all of these things result when the folks involved in the board and staff partnership, that's board and staff partnership that really undergirds healthy governance, have the emotional intelligence and maturity that Larry mentions. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. 
You can find out how to con uh, connect with Larry Robertson, the full transcript of our tra uh, conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd like to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Kuster of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find the show. We, and we really appreciate it. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.